Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here with us. Glad that you're with us online. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 11 and Judges 3, if you'd like to follow along. As we were just finishing a sermon series and we're just getting ready to start a new one, I just had a free day. So what do we want to do on a free day? What would we like to teach on on a free day? And I thought that I would just take some of the notes from my personal Bible study time and just share some of that with you. Just share what, you know, some of the things that the Lord and I talk about, and I hope that it blesses you this morning. Uh, if I get to, to yelling and my voice gets kind of cracky, I'm sorry. I lost my voice in the first service, and it was kind of going like this. Um, Matthew chapter 11, in verse 12, and what we've got here is Jesus is talking to his disciples right after John the Baptist has been executed. And Jesus is just giving uh, the disciples some encouragement about who John the Baptist was. And then he, he makes this statement right here. It starts and it makes sense. And then he says some other things and it makes sense. And he throws this statement in there and you just go, okay. So this is what it says. Matthew 11 verse 12 from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, that can be a very, very confusing scripture. And if you're looking in different translations, it can be translated in lots of different ways. I'm using uh, the New American Standard this morning. So uh, what is Jesus talking about? What is he really saying? Um, is he saying that there's violence going on in heaven? Is he saying that, that violent people are, are taking something away from other people? What is Jesus talking about? Well, if you're using a, a, a study Bible that has footnotes, your footnotes may say some of the same things that mine did. In the New American Standard, it says in the footnotes that, that the, the Greek word suffers violence, that, that that is one word, and that it can be translated to forcibly enter. To forcibly enter. It also says that uh, take it by force can be translated to seize that's with a Z, not seize, like see this. I know we're in East Texas and go, seize him? No, that's not what we're talking about. Seize, grab something, seize it, by, seize it for themselves. So it seems that Jesus is telling the disciples that they need to be aggressively passionate about the kingdom of heaven and seize it. Seize the kingdom of heaven. Now, I looked that word violent up in the dictionary. I know when we hear that word violent, that it, it can conjure up all kinds of things in our mind. There have been lots of violent things going on in our nation recently. And when we hear violent, we think some harm has been done or, or, or something bad has happened. But if you, if you don't go to public school and you've actually used a dictionary in your life, you might know, <laughs> you might know that 
that there are more than one way to define a word. So I was looking up the word violent in the dictionary, and the first couple of entries was about what you would think that it would be. Some kind of force, some kind of harmful thing that is going on. But then I came to the third entry, and it says to be excessively zealous and passionate. To be excessively zealous and passionate. Now, when I'm studying the word just for me, just by myself, I'm not putting together a lesson. I'm, this is just me and Jesus time. I like to use the word of God as a mirror. I want to see myself in what God is saying and doing. So when I'm looking at this and it says that I need to be uh, excessively zealous and passionate about the kingdom of God, I ask myself, am I? Am I passionate? Does that describe my relationship with God? Am I passionate about the kingdom of God? And when Jesus is saying kingdom of God, what is he talking about? Because when we hear the word heaven, when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, and we hear that word heaven, we all think that, that that's some place that we will be sometime. If we have a relationship with Jesus, one day I will be in heaven. Right? Yes. But the first time Jesus preaches after He's been baptized. He preaches a message and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some translations say the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. It has already come. How can the kingdom of heaven be here? Because the king of, king of heaven has come here. You hear that? So Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven with him, and he's not saying, hey, repent, because one of these days you're going to go to heaven. He's saying, repent, think differently, because the kingdom is here. It's already here. We can already be experiencing kingdom stuff. Jesus brought the kingdom with him, and Jesus was anointed to bring liberty to the oppressed. So we can say that the kingdom of heaven is all about setting people free. So once again, I ask myself, am I forcibly entering into the kingdom and seizing the freedom that Jesus has purchased for me? Am I excessively zealous and passionate about my freedom and the freedom of others? And we could come up with a huge list of things that we need to be free from, we should be free from. You know, that's what uh, a lot of times religious people like to do. We're just gonna make a big list of all the no-nos. These are no-nos, okay? Do not do this, 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 do not do this. If you break any of these, you're probably going to hell. Have, you've never been to that church, okay? Good. That was a lot like the church I grew up in, though. That is not what Jesus is trying to say. Even though we could come up with a big list of things that we should be free from, there's really just some basic things 
that God wants us to be free from, and a lot of this other stuff will just fall by the wayside. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Sometimes God will allow us to walk through a dark valley, right? Remember the 23rd Psalm? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through a dark valley, you are there with me. Sometimes the Spirit of the Lord will even lead us into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the enemy. Happened to Jesus, right? Remember that, Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the enemy. Now, why would the Lord do that? Because he wants to break us down? Because he wants to hurt us? Because he wants something bad to happen? No. Faith without test is theory. You can say that you believe something, but until you live it, it doesn't mean anything. And when we go into these places of trial and temptation. We need to understand that the Lord is right there with us, but he does intend for us to walk through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not though I stop and build a house in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. So we're going to walk through it. So, Even though it can be a little bit uncomfortable at times, the reason we go through these things is to teach us to be spiritually violent. So if we had a a title for the lesson this morning, it's how to be spiritually violent. Remember how we're using the word violent. How to be spiritually aggressive. How to be spiritually zealous and passionate about the kingdom of God. Okay, now we're going to move over to Judges chapter 3, and I'm going to show you some training for violence. (laughs) Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced the wars of Canaan, only in order. Say, only in order. Only in order. The only reason that these nations were left, only in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war. Does God still have an expectation of his people learning to war? Spiritually, yes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So what are we fighting against? Not people. You got that? Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't wrestle against people. We don't fight against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Okay? We're fighting with God's weapons, and what is something that we are coming against? Strongholds of human reasoning? 
and false arguments. Whose human reasoning and whose arguments? Well, that person over there, because they don't agree with me. I'm going to attack them with all the Jesus that I have. I'm going to let them know that in Jesus' name, they are absolutely wrong. Let me just show you something. Once again, this is my Bible study. I'm using this as a mirror. So if the Lord is showing me this, who's the first person that needs to deal with false thinking and strongholds? Me. Me. God will deal with me first. Scripture says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Well, no, God, you need to destroy all these terrible people doing all these terrible things. He's going to start in the house of God. He's going to start with us. And when we get the heart to say, Lord, judge me first. I don't like that. No, Lord, judge me. Judge my heart. Judge my intentions. Judge my words. Because you know what? When I've seen what's really inside of me, I'm going to be able to love that person. Instead of, I don't like you because you don't think the same way I think politically. I don't like you because you don't look just like me. I don't like you because you don't worship just like me. Judge me first, Lord. Judge me. So, we are still fighting the same enemies that they were fighting in Judges chapter 3. The devil has no new tricks. You need to know that. The devil is not in God's class. Stop thinking that. Stop thinking there is some kind of cosmic battle going on between good and evil, God and the devil, and we don't know who's going to win. God wins. God's already won. He's already destroyed the power of Satan. Why, why are we here and what are we doing? We're just enforcing his defeat. You got that? The devil does not have any new tricks. He is going to hit you with the same thing that he has been hitting humanity with since the Garden of Eden. So these are the nations that God left. And there's a whole list there. If you're, if you're looking in Judges chapter 3, there's a whole list there. We're just going to look at uh, uh, three of them. And the first one is the Philistines. The Philistines, the same, the same people that, that came out against Israel when, when David was a young boy. Goliath was a Philistine. And the Philistines, they were the people of Philistia. And the word Philistia means wanderers, or strangers, wanderers or strangers. And this is an enemy coming against you. Have you ever felt like a wanderer? Have you ever felt like a stranger? Have you ever felt like, I don't belong? Have you ever felt like, I'm not accepted for who I am? Have you ever felt that sting of the lie of the enemy that says, you don't belong there? Why are you going to church? They don't really want you there. If they knew what was going on in your life, they wouldn't want you there. And I know some of you are thinking, this is your Bible study, why are you yelling? Because this is how excited I get when I'm spending time with God, okay? 
I, I promise you. Lisa will go, she'll stick her head in there. Are you okay? Yes. <laughs> I'm okay. I preach to myself all the time. So have you ever felt unaccepted? Have you ever felt that you didn't belong? I have. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I have compromised trying to belong. A whole lot before I came to Jesus. But I've done it since I've come to Jesus too. I've done it since I've been in ministry. Compromising to try to fit in. And that's not the Lord. Philistia comes from a root word which means to roll in the dust or roll in the dirt. I want you to think, and you got to follow me on this one. In Genesis chapter 2, when God made man, when God made human, what did he make him out of? Dust, right? He made humans out of dust, out of the dirt. In Genesis chapter 3, when God is cursing the serpent, which we know was Satan, he tells him, you will eat dust. You'll eat dirt. If we're living in a place of rejection, if we're living in a place of not belonging and listening to that lie, that dust that we're rolling in is what the enemy feasts on. Anything not submitted to God in our lives is what the enemy is feasting on. And because I was not aggressive, because I was not exceedingly passionate about seeking the kingdom when it came to this place of bondage in my life, this rejection in my life, I was a scooby snack for the enemy. But that was before I knew that I was accepted. In Galatians 3.29, it says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now, I had no problem believing that I belonged to Christ, but the, the revelation of being an heir, an heir of the kingdom. To be an heir, I have to be a son. To be an heir, I have to be, be in the family of God. And the moment that I realized I was in the family of God, I knew that I was accepted by God. There was nothing I had to do to be accepted by God. He just loved me. Then all of this that I was trying to do to be accepted just fell by the wayside. All right, our second group of people here, the Canaanites. The definition of Canaanites is merchants or peddlers. Merchants or peddlers. They were the people of Cana. And Cana comes from the root word, which means to bend the knee, to make someone bow in humiliation. In other words, shame and fear. Shame and fear. Once again, uh, 
All the way back to the beginning of the book, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve hid in fear because of shame. They had spent time walking with God. It said God came walking and looking for him just like he did every day. Adam, Adam, where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. What had happened? The merchant peddler of lies had sold them the biggest lie of all. God's holding out on you. God's a liar. God cannot be trusted. So what they did was they traded life for knowledge. They had the life of God, but they're trading it for knowledge. And the result was separation and shame. The enemy clobbers us with shame to keep us from the freedom of God's presence. In Jude 24, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Does that sound like a freedom worth fighting for? Does that sound like something that that we should be excessively passionate about? I believe so. And now our third, our third nation that the Lord left so the children of Israel would learn how to war is the, the Hittites. The root word for Hittite means terror. Terror. And if you take that Hebrew word and you go to its root word, it means to be shattered, to be broken, to be dismayed, to be discouraged. You ever fought that? (laughs) I've been so broken and discouraged that I couldn't function. And if I can't function, the enemy has neutralized my gifts, my calling, and my influence. In Psalms 119.25, and this is out of the Passion Translation, it says, Lord, I'm fading away, I'm discouraged, and I'm lying in the dust. There's that dust again. You ever been there? Lord, I'm discouraged, and I'm lying in the dust. I've been so low that I had to look up to see the dust. But the scripture ends by saying, revive me by your word, just as you promised you would. God has promised to revive us. So what is God's word to revive us? It's this right here from Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 20. I should know this because I did it in the first service too. 22, 22, 24. What is his good word? This is his good word, but let's just take one, okay? Here's one out of Isaiah 59, 19, and I'm going to read this out of the the good old King James Bible. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Then we go all the way back to the King James Bible, and the reason I'm reading it out of that is because it's the only version that translates it this way. 
It says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and the glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Have you ever felt flooded? Have you ever felt like the enemy was coming against you? If you haven't, you are not breathing. (laughs) But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord's going to lift up a standard. The Lord is going to come and fight on our behalf. And if that wasn't good enough, let me let you in on a little secret here. In ancient Hebrew, there was no punctuation. There's no punctuation in ancient Hebrew. The, the translators of the Bible, they decided when they were translating this that it should say, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard. But you know what? When we're passionately pursuing the kingdom, when we are aggressively going after the freedom that God has for, our, for us, we move that comma over. When the enemy comes in, Comma, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard, will lift up a flood against him. That's a whole lot better than y'all are acting. I know I kind of messed it up. That's okay. When the enemy shall come in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And if you, le- if you read this in other translations, you will see that it's the enemy that's getting flooded. It's not the people of God. So we need to press in. We need to violently press into the kingdom so that the enemy will get flooded. God always raises up a standard in Israel. God raises up a standard. He always raises up a standard. He always raises up people. He always raises up somebody to be his standard. And in the book of Judges, he raises up judges. Now the word judges, I know we think of a judge with a gavel going, you're guilty. You did something wrong. But that is not what the word translates to be. It translates to deliverer. God raises up a deliverer. And these deliverers, they are just types and shadows of Jesus. So if you've got some kind of misconception where you feel like Jesus comes along with a big gavel and he's just here to tell you that you're guilty, you're missing it. Because Jesus came for you to be delivered. So the first judge that God raises up His name is Othiniel, which means force of God. Force of God. In Judges 3.10, says the Spirit of the Lord came on him to deliver Israel. That sounds very much like Jesus. Because in Isaiah 61, we see that it says, here's a prophecy about Jesus. In Luke 4, Jesus reads this in the temple, and he goes, hey, today, this scripture is fulfilled. But here's the prophecy. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Have you ever felt afflicted? Good news. You don't have to stay afflicted. 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. You ever felt bound? Have you ever felt like you're in a prison? Jesus is here. The Spirit of the Lord had come on him to set you free. Jesus is our standard. He is our force of God for deliverance. So how do we war? Remember, our weapons are not worldly weapons, but they're strong enough to pull down the strongholds of the enemy. So I just want to quickly give you a few things that the Lord has given me. Once again, remember, this is my Bible study stuff. And there's just sometimes that the Lord will say things, and I just, I just write them down. And I, and, and I just study them out. I just meditate on them. I just, I just read over them. Because sometimes they're just going, wow, Lord, okay, okay. So I don't want you to see this as some kind of checklist. Well, if I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I want you to think of it more like a, a, a list of ingredients. We're pulling things together because God's going to bake us a cake or something, all right? A lot of times, we as Christians, when we go to the Lord, how do we do that? We immediately go in prayer, right? And we're usually praying about something that I need, right? <laughs> this is what the Lord told me. He said, start in worship. Come and worship. Come and worship first. Because worship focuses us on God. When we come just to pray about our needs, I am focused on me. But when I come in worship, God is focusing me on him. Now, we worshiped this morning. Well, we need to get to the place where we understand worship is not just about music. It can be. Or about the big band and everybody's doing their job and everybody's singing well. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Can I worship then as well? Yeah. Of course, we can put on our favorite our favorite you know, worship teams and listen to them. But what about just worship that comes up out of our heart? As I've been studying and meditating through this, I've spent a lot of time in this sanctuary just pacing back and forth, and I'm just learning to worship. And it's just very simple. Lord, I worship you because you're good. I worship you because of who you are. I worship you because you are my Jehovah Rapha. I worship you because you are my healer. I worship you because you are my salvation. I just worship you. And it can be a little bit awkward at first, but it's amazing how it just begins to come out of your spirit. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. And I wind up spending 30 minutes in here just going, I worship you, Lord, just walking back and forth. What's happening? As we worship, it stirs hope in us. Now listen to this. Hope is for your emotional self, your mental self. Faith that's of your spirit. But we need hope. 
faith. God's given us the measure of faith. But what's usually the problem? This right here. I can't get past my head. I can't get past my emotions. Well, this is what hope does. This is what hope, as I begin to worship, hope begins to stir in me, and it begins to connect and activate the faith of God that's already in me. But we need to worship. And as we worship, it will lead into a time of prayer. And it's amazing how when you've spent time in worship, you begin praying about the things he wants you to pray about instead of, you know, God, I need a boyfriend. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. You're not going to get what you want because you've been naughty or nice. Got it? So we begin, we begin to pray, and we begin to pray out the things that God would have us pray about. And, and prayer brings us to a place of partnering with God. And that partnering with God will lead us to a deeper relationship with God, which will result in repentance. For some reason, we don't like the word repentance. But repentance is not just, God, I'm sorry for something. Repentance is allowing the Lord to change the way we think about the subject to such a degree that I'm going to start doing opposite of what I've been doing. And as we have that deeper relationship with God, I have found myself just walking down here and I'm repenting of things I didn't even know I was doing. I didn't realize I had a bad attitude about that. I didn't realize I had said this, but Lord, I repent because I want to be in a deep relationship with you. And that deep relationship will lead us into a place of intimacy with the Lord and that intimacy will lead us into the presence of God the Lord. That's all I've been praying about for about the last month to six weeks. Lord, I want to know your presence. I want to be in your presence. I want to know you. He said, start with worship. And it leads me to a place where I'm in his presence. Yes, and I know because we just came out of a, a series called Who is God? And I did a message on God's omnipresence. God is everywhere. I know that. God is everywhere, but what I'm doing is adjusting my heart so I can be more aware of his presence. And when I'm in his presence, it results in the life of God being seen in me. You want to know what the ultimate weapon? The ultimate weapon is the life of God flowing through us. No demonic bondage or scheme can stand in the presence of God because death and life cannot occupy the same space. But the enemy will try to substitute knowledge for life, just like he did in the garden. Substitute knowledge for life. God wants you to have life. You'll get some knowledge along the way. But start with life. So be spiritually violent in the pursuit of the life of God which comes with the kingdom. Pursue the life of God through worship, prayer, relationship, love. And then in his presence you will encounter real life. And I end with this. 
Psalm 16, 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. God wants us to be spiritually violent. Not so that we can harm people, but so we can press into the things of the kingdom. So we can know the freedom that he has for us. Will you stand with me? Maybe you're here this morning, you've just been listening to this, and you may not even understand all of it, and that's okay. I don't understand everything I always hear either, especially when somebody up here yelling at you. You get just a little bit of it. But maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's just sparked something. Just put his finger on something. That's what we want to press into. So pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just invite you into our situation. Lord, we may not have even known that we were supposed to be spiritually violent. We may not have known that we needed to passionately pursue the kingdom. But Lord, as we hear this, it sparks something. And I passionately want to pursue your presence. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want your life to come in and bring that place of acceptance. I don't want to be a stranger. I want your life to come in and convince me of truth so I'm not listening to the lies of the enemy, so I'm not rolling in the dirt and becoming an easy meal for the enemy. And I want you to come in and just pour your goodness into my life. Because, Lord, we worship you because you're good. We worship you because you're God. So come and be the God that we need you to be this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.